Welcome to today's audio podcast from the Church at Bushland. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of the Church at Bushland and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at thechurchatbushland.com or download our app for both iOS and Android devices by searching for The Church at Bushland. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment to let us know by emailing us at media at thechurchatbushland.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting thechurchatbushland.com slash give. Man, good to see each of you this morning. I want to say welcome to you that are joining us online. Uh, man, we have such a faithful, great group of people that join us online each week, so I want to say good morning to each of you as well. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for being a part of the church. Uh, just grateful to you more than anything. And so we're in a series called Prune and Bloom. And what we are seeking to do, it's out of John chapter 15. What we're seeking to do is to allow God, the gardener, the vine dresser, to look at us as a tree or the vineyard and see what needs to be pruned so that we might bloom more or what might need to be cut because it's not needed in our lives at all, at all. It's bad. So I want to go to John chapter 15. I didn't get to do this in the first service. I have a little bit more time this service. So I want to go to John chapter 15 because I want to kind of set this up just a little bit for you. This is where we get the whole series that we're in. John chapter 15, follow me in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of your word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, if a man remains in me, in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what I want you to understand today, what we're going to look at in just a little bit in Galatians chapter 5, is we're going to look at some, a continuation of the fruits of the flesh, all right, or the works of the flesh. All right? But I need you to hear today and next week from the gardener, from the vine dresser, from the Father, okay? Because what we're gonna look at is, is, is parts of why the flesh is so nasty. The flesh, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the flesh absolutely does not take a day off. The flesh is constantly trying to wage war in your life to take you out. It says, I mean, just speaks it. It just says, listen, here's what I'm after. I'm trying to kill you. I'm trying to steal you. I'm trying to destroy you. And I'm not trying to do anything other than that. That's just what I'm trying to do. And every day, you and I, as believers, we wake up to that reality. Woohoo! All right? We wake up to that reality that the flesh is trying to take us out, but the Jesus, the Spirit of God, says, I want to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. What we need today is for the church, little church, corporate church, to be the light that God calls us to be, to bear the fruit that this world needs to see every single day, all right? 
We're trying to be what God wants us to be. So I want you to go to Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 16 through 19. 16 through 19. And I'm going to read just out of the New King James Version today. Uh, verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are in contrast, uh, these, these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. The NIV, the NIV will say the works of the flesh are obvious, okay? Here's what I want you to understand. The, the, the flesh is absolutely, every day, as I talked about, trying to destroy everything that God is doing in your life. If, you've, if you're running, right, I mean, you're running and you're producing good fruit, things are going well in your life, what he's trying to do is he's ticked off about it. And he's trying to set up a way to take you out with anything he can set up to make fruit in your life, the good fruit go away and the bad fruit come out. That's what he's trying to do. The flesh is mean, all right? The flesh is mean. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to see that Jesus said, but if you're led, look at 18 again, but 18a, but if you're led, I told you before, there are all sizes of butts. This is a big old butt right here, all right? I'm just telling you. I'm not talking about anybody in the house. I'm just saying there's, this is a big old butt. But if you're led, but you're, if you're led, but if you're led, that's what he's saying. But if you're led by the Spirit, not if you're following the flesh, not if you're led by the flesh. He says, if you're led by the Spirit, what we have to do as the church is we have to be led by the Spirit. Because if you're not being led by the Spirit, guess what? You're being led by whom? Yourself. And yourself is consumed with flesh. It's at war every day against it, okay? So here's a question. Who's leading you? Who's leading you? You leading you, spirit leading you. You say, well, pastor, I, <laughs> I lead a lot of people. I'm, I'm a manager. I do this, or I lead this, or I lead this. Now, I'm not asking who you lead. I'm asking who leads you, because here's the deal. Don't, don't try to lead without being led. Can I say that again to you? Don't try to lead unless you're being led. I'm going to have the dads look at me and the husbands look at me. You're called by God to lead your family. Can I say something to you? You better make sure every single day, at the beginning of your day, you tap into the commander-in-chief, the God Almighty, Jesus Christ. And you say, God, today, may I be led by the Spirit so that I can lead what you trusted me with. Because if you're not being led by the Spirit, you're being led by yourself and flesh. If you try to operate to be the leader of your home and the leader of your family by operating leading, by being led by the flesh or by yourself, guess what? You're a train wreck waiting to happen. And everybody behind you is going down too. You gotta be led by the Spirit. It's not about who you're leading. It's who's leading you. And for some people, the hardest person to lead is themselves. The hardest person to lead is themselves. I want you to go over to Romans. We're going to jump in in this in a second. 
Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy. Oh, thank the Lord for mercy. All right. In the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your spiritual act of worship. This is your spiritual act of worship. My body, my body, and the way I live in my body is worship to God. You say, well, I thought worship when I came in here and Paxton says, let's worship. No, that is, that is worship. That's called corporate worship. But can I tell you this? Monday through Saturday, as you walk around this world, you're living out a living sacrifice of worship to him. What are you living out? Listen, our spiritual act of worship is how we live. It's how we live. So we're going to look at the works of the flesh. Listen to me. I've told you a couple weeks ago, the flesh does not have any PTO. It doesn't have any personal time off. It does not take any time off. It is constantly trying to kill, steal, and destroy you. So we looked at the NIV. It says obvious. It's outward. We looked at the King James, New King James. It says it's evident. It's obvious or evident. So these five that I'm going to look at today, these are outward. You see them. You see them in other people. They see them in you. The next week when we look at the works of the flesh, that list of things we're going to look at, those are more inner, okay? Those are more, they can be possessed by us or in us, and maybe not everybody knows it, okay? Just kind of the people that know us really, really well, okay? So I, I say that not to run you off next week. I'm saying, please still come, okay? Just all I'm saying. We're going to look at that next week. So there's 18 words that Paul uses in Galatians chapter 5. If we read the beginning, if we went on, he says the works of the flesh are these, and he lists 18 words. I must say this to you. Churches today don't even touch these words. They don't even bring them up anymore. They just skip right over to the real sweet little things called the fruit of the Spirit, and they try to build all their stuff into the fruit of the Spirit. Now, listen to me. I don't bake. If I ever bake you something and bring it to you, for the love of Jesus, don't eat that. Just telling you. I love you, but don't eat anything I bake, all right? So here's what I do know about baking. I watched Melissa. So she got this big old bowl, and there's certain things that go in it, and you start putting those things in it. If for any reason you happen to get off and you miss up, and you're like, I don't even know. I, 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 did I, did I, I don't even know. Was that a tablespoon of salt? Or two, did I put two tablespoons? What? And they don't know. And the more you think about it, the more confused you get. You know what you do? You know what you do if you're in that situation? Pull out the trash can and you dump it in. Because if you try to go, oh my gosh, I got to get back on track. So I got to start over. I'm going to put the good stuff back in this bowl. Well, if you don't dump the junk out and you just put the good stuff in it, guess what? It's going to be nastier than if it was if you'd have just stayed with it, all right? So a lot of people do this. They see this list of junk, and they don't want to deal with it. They just want to add on the little sweet fruits of the Spirit. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. You need to take that bowl, because you don't have a fat clue what you just put in it, for the love of Jesus and those who will eat it, dump it in the trash can, and start that whole thing back over again and get on the script and don't get off. Because we got a lot of people who try to prune these areas. 
<laughs> I'm so sorry, but we're about to get to a list that ain't got no business having anything pruned in it. It needs to have a big old machete and just <laughs> cut that sucker off and a big old king-size Band-Aid to stick on it. There's no reason to say, God, you need to prune these areas. No, you need to cut this off if it's in my life. Because this stuff left in your bowl, if you add a whole bunch of good stuff to it, it's still gonna be nasty and nastier than it ever been. So what I'm asking you to do today is when we run through this list, I want you to hear it from the gardener, from the vine dresser, from the father, okay? And if this stuff exists in your life, in any form of it, cut it out. Throw it out of the bowl because it's not gonna produce good fruit in your life, all right? We're gonna look at five things, all right? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, and witchcraft. Somebody said in the first service, Pastor, do we need to buckle up today? <laughs> yeah, I would advise a buckle and then that other buckle. So a double click today, okay? Double click, then stay with me. Adultery and fornication, number one. They come from the same Greek word, pornea. This word includes all sexual sins outside of marriage. Churches don't even want to touch this anymore. They just avoid the subject. But I'm telling you, if I love you, and I do, you got to teach the whole word, amen? And this is the whole word. This is bad fruit. This is stuff of the flesh, and you have to talk about it, all right? When referring to a woman who has committed adultery. The New Testament uses the word pornos. This is the same word that we use and we get prostitute. Prostituted herself or sold herself. Now, I want you to listen to me. I am not in any way calling you a prostitute. I am calling the behavior of outside the framework of marriage, the covenant of marriage, if you go outside that boundary, that protected fence, that, that, that protection of God and a covenant relationship before God. If you go outside of that as a married woman, you have basically in God's eyes participated as a prostitute. Now listen to me. It is high time that we look at things as a church from God's perspective and not from what the world calls it. Listen, God speaks on that stuff, not the world. And it's high time that we look at it the way God looks at it. Now, listen to me. In, this, in these areas that I'm going to look at, I do not want you for the, nothing to hear condemnation. This is not condemnation. Hear love and correction. So as if you are a woman and you have committed this, okay, or you went outside the boundaries of marriage and committed adultery, it is like a prostitute, okay? You say, well, my, Pastor, you don't understand. My husband, he's about as exciting as carpet. He's so boring. He's so mundane. He, is, he, just, he doesn't wow me like he did when he was dating. He, we don't have as much fun as we used to. He's a yawner. I need somebody to, to wine and dine me. I need to go have some fun. I need to have some, some excitement in my marriage. And so since he's not going to do it, oh, no, he falls asleep in the first quarter cowboy game. He can't even stay up to halftime. I mean, he's just so boring. I'm going to go find it on my own. And so what you do is you convince yourself that it's okay to get outside the boundaries of marriage and go meet the need that you think you have that your husband can't meet. And God says, when you do that, you commit adultery. And in my eyes, you have played the role of a prostitute. You've sold yourself for something that you thought you were owed and you were gonna get it anyway because he wasn't meeting it. 
So referring to a man, you're not off the hook either. For a man who commits adultery, the word is pornea, depicts a man who has sexual relationship with a prostitute. You say, well, Pastor, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a man, I'm a Texan, I'm a, I'm a man, I eat meat, I have blood pumping through my body. I got to have some, I got knees, I got to have my knees met. She's just all about work, all about the kids, chasing everything. I'm tired, I can't, I can't, I can't give you what I want. Okay, you can't give me what I want? I'm going to go find what I need. I'm going to go do what I want to do. And you take it upon yourself to go meet your need by going out and finding someone who will satisfy you and meet this need. That's called going out and getting for yourself a prostitute in God's eyes. God says, if this is evident in your life, cut it out. Cut it out. Call it what it is. Look at it from my perspective. It has no place. Cut it out. I'm going to give you some pastoral advice. If you're in a marriage today, if you're a married couple looking at me or listening to me on the sound of my voice on the line, and you say, well, I'm in that season in my marriage. It's dry. I'm in, a, I'm in that season, man. I haven't done anything, but I'm in that season, pastor. Well, can I tell you something? If you will water what you got, it will grow. I promise you, I'm a married man of 28 years. You have seasons, but the seasons are not because of anything God's doing, anything wrong with my wife or me. It's because we neglected it. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands, a little sloppiness. You got to be intentional with marriage. And so if I water and fertilize my marriage, my marriage will bloom and grow. The grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. They just have a better water system. They just water better. But I'm going to tell you, in that lush green grass, there's also thorns. It always is. And people don't realize it until they get out there too far in it. Sin will always take you further than you want to go, and it will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And I'm going to say something to you. Adultery in God's eyes is bad. It shouldn't be done. And if it's a dry season and if it's a tough time in your marriage, don't you take it upon yourself to go meet your needs outside of marriage. That's a big deal to God. You start watering what you got. And God says, I'll grow it. I'll satisfy you in your marriage. You won't even look anywhere else. Everything outside of marriage is false, man. Don't take the bait. Adultery and fornication have no place. So we talked about fornication. Let me just mention a little bit because it's, it's two different things, but it's all kind of tied into one. Fornications is simply perversion, the perversion of that which God made for beauty. Can I tell you something? Marriage and sex within marriage is a beautiful thing. God made it. He didn't just make it. He said, do it, all right? But anything like that, that's marriage, the sex within the marriage relationship done outside of marriage is seen in God's eyes as bad. So stay out of it. And what, what fornication is, 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 is absolutely perversion or, or, or taking away the beauty of that which God made. All right? It's where we get the word pornography. Pornography is running rampant in our country today. It has no age limit at all, okay? The younger you are, the harder they're coming after you. And I know it's a battle for parents with computers and phones and just places. I mean, you can't even go to Barnes & Noble anymore and let a kid roam free. I'm like, seriously? Can we not get a trash bag over that, all right? I mean, it's just like the, everywhere. But you've got to understand that's where it starts, man, is he perverts what's beautiful. He takes beautiful people and perverts them. 
all right? Pornography is a real deal, and it absolutely begins, and that's where a lot of the junk begins in pornography that leads to adultery in marriage every time. They almost mirror each other. Number three, uncleanness. The Greek word for uncleanness refers to lewd or unclean thoughts that eventually produce lewd and unclean actions. Because here's what happens. The flesh wants to plant stuff in your noggin. He wants to put pornography in there, thoughts in there, pictures in there, things you've seen, things you've watched, things you participate in. If he can put it in your head, it wants to, the flesh wants it to manifest itself in an action. Jesus says, uh-uh, we ain't gonna be led by the flesh. We're gonna be led by the spirit because the spirit wants to manifest itself in seeing the things of God. The spirit wants to manifest itself in, in marriage and a lot of other areas of our lives. Just as the flesh wants to manifest itself, so does the, flesh, so does the spirit. We wanna see God move. We wanna see God do things. That's God manifesting himself through worship, through the word, through people, so we can see God's glory. The flesh wants to do the same thing. And he begins it sometimes in your head. 2 Corinthians 10, 10, 5b says this, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Watch this. We take every thought and make it captive to Christ. Listen, your mind can get out of control sometimes. Listen, my mind can get out of control sometimes, but I've got a member to make every thought captive unto Christ. Trust me as a pastor. There are many opportunities for me, just like you, to take off my pastor hat and put on my Jeff hat and get absolutely in the flesh. I'm like, I should tell, mm, I should say, mm, I should. No, I should not. I bite my tongue and let him do that, all right? Every one of us fight that. Our thoughts and stuff in our head, if we don't control it, it'll control us. The greatest thing you ever teach your children is how to flush a toilet. Just telling you. And I appreciate every one of you for teaching that. Because you know what happens to toilets that don't get flushed? Them suckers stink. They stink. Rank, rank, rank. You can take one toilet in a house that hadn't been flushed in weeks, and before long, it's not in the bathroom. No, it's not in the bedroom anymore either. It's everywhere, everywhere. And mama says, what's that smell? Oh, no. Every answer to every kid breathing in America, all right? All right? I don't know. If she goes upstairs and finds that toilet before you do, oh, Lord, help. You're going to wish Jesus had beamed you out of the heaven before mama could get there, all right? All you got to do is flush the junk. Otherwise, the aroma's all over the house. Many of us look at stuff. That aroma takes over our lives and starts to spread. You say, Pastor, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. Oh, I don't? Yes, I do too. Because that's my house when I grew up. My dad started looking at stuff during lunch, watching stuff. It got outside of watching and looking to my mom meeting his needs that way. My mom didn't play the part. Guess what? Marriage broke down, they divorced, crushed my whole family. Where did it start? In his head. When to see stuff, look at stuff, participate in stuff. Before long, you know what? You don't want to just look at it and watch it and see it. You want to participate. You got to take every thought captive. Why? Because the flesh says, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. It's not enough just to look anymore. Now I got to touch and participate. 
That's the mind. It's out of control. Matthew 5, 8 says this, but I tell you the truth. Anyone who looks on a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. That's why Jesus said this mind thing's a big deal, man. If you see her and you start to have that thought, you go, nope, taking every thought captive. Get behind me, Satan. You can't do it. Because if you keep living in that world, the toilet's going to stink, right? Look at Romans 6, 16. Romans 6, 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as a slave, you are slaves to the one you obey? So listen to me. If you look at this stuff and you surrender to it like a slave, you will begin to obey it. They said, man, where'd you learn to do this stuff? Why'd you do this? Why'd you do this? I don't know, man. I just started watching stuff and looking at stuff, and all of a sudden, I just started doing it. It, You became a slave to what you saw. You became a slave to your brain, to the images, to the unclean thoughts. You began to demonstrate them. You started to act them out. I want you to go back to Romans, if you haven't already left it. Go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 12, 2. Bible says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you need to help there, be transformed by the flushing of your toilet, all right? Flush your noggin, man. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Are those thoughts and images and stuff that you're looking at, those unclean things, and when you see that, is that good, pleasing, and perfect will of God? I don't think so. Turn the channel, Scotty, and get to a different one. You got to get the fat out. Don't be looking at the stuff because it's going to get in your head. You're going to have unclean thoughts, and then you're going to want to demonstrate those with fornication and pornography, and then you're going to act it out how? Well, if you're married, you're going to go outside the boundaries of marriage and get involved in relationships you shouldn't be involved in, and you're going to go pick up a prostitute. You say, well, I'm not picking up a prostitute, but that's what God calls it, and that's how it works. Number four, idolatry. The act of idolatry transpires when an individual gives their complete and undivided attention, devotion, passion, love, and commitment to a person, place, object other than God. When we set up a golden calf, an idol before God, then we, that becomes an idol in our life. You say, well, Jeff, I don't have any idols in my life. But you're sitting in church giving Sunday school answers right now. You're not supposed to have an idol right now. But I'm asking you, is there anything that you're putting before God? Anything. Exodus 23, 20, verse 3 says this, you shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. No house, no truck, no boat, no side-by-side, no four-wheeler, no hunting property, no job, no income, 403, no retirement plan, no nothing before me. No sports, no muscle, no nothing before me. If the most favorite place in your house is a mirror, you got issues, okay? All right? Listen to me, no idols, nothing you're bowing down to, nothing. Jesus said, let God be first in your life. Big God be first in your life. Matthew 6, 33 says it this, but seek you first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. 
Look at Isaiah chapter, uh, Isaiah 42, look at verse 8. Isaiah 42, 8. It's a good verse, go there. Isaiah 42, 8. It says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. I want you to look at this country and you look at the idols in which we put before our God. Let me tell you what happens to little G's, little gods, little G gods that put before the big G God, they come crashing down. They come crashing down, man. There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter five, and you can read it this week if you want to. 1 Samuel chapter five, verses one through five. This is a story of Dagon. Dagon was their God. He was, he was a, a statue that they made a God out of, all right? But at that time, they had the, they had the covenant of the Lord, all right? And the covenant, uh, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant was God's presence. And they, and they decided they needed to put the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant, they were gonna put it in Dagon's temple. So they bring it in and put it in Dagon's temple, okay? This is their man-made little God. All right, the next night, the next morning, they get up and during the night, Dagon, because he's in the presence of God Almighty, the Ark of the Covenant, Dagon falls off, just fell off. And they're like, oh, our guard fell. And they had to pick up their little God and they send the servants out to Home Depot to get some you know, duct tape and stuff. And so they duct tape him back and they put him up there. They go, oh, it's our God, it's our God. And they leave, they go to bed, they get up the next morning, they go back in the temple. Guess what? They got, boom, and they fall over again. He fell in a whole bunch of other pieces. So they send the service. Got to go to Home Depot, man. Got to get some. Got to get some duct tape. But we have a slight supply problem. Sorry, we have a supply problem. We don't have any duct tape left at Home Depot. Well, what are we gonna do? I don't know what we're gonna do. We got to put Dagon back together. So the Dagon just stays broken all over the place. And it says that some of the pieces broke on the threshold. And to this day, they step over the threshold. Why? Because they don't want to step on their little man-made God. Listen to me. If you need duct tape for your God, you need a new God. That's just simple. If you just, you need a new God. We don't need any other God before the one true living God. In your life, look at your life, your time, your energy, your effort. If it's to put to anything other than what should be first, it's an idol. I had a guy one time tell me, Pastor, I would love to give. I would love to tithe because I love our church. I love you and I want to be a part of the giving team. But I, I just have too much debt. And I said, well, is it the four cars, the side-by-side, the three four-wheelers and the big old house and the barn you just built? Is that the problem? Yeah. Sell it, sell it, and sell it. Because if your toys keep you from tithing, that's an idol. It's because God said, don't hold back on me. You give first to the storehouse of God. Don't let an idol control you. This country's full of idols. Let it be so that the church looks at itself. We look at ourselves and say, is there an idol in my life? Listen to me. I'm not dogging your house or stuff you have. There is nothing wrong with having nice stuff and having stuff. But if your stuff has you, it's an idol. That's just simple. If your stuff owns you, then it's an idol. Last thing is this. In that list in Galatians, he goes through all these words that we just looked at, and he goes to this word, witchcraft. And you're like, man, witchcraft. Witchcraft is a Greek word. From this Greek word, we get pharmaka. The Greek word pharmaka is a word for medicine or drugs. The drugs that inhibit a person's personality or change their behavior. 
It's where we get the words pharmaceutical or pharmaceutical drugs or the word pharmacy. It is used in connection with sorcery, magic, and witchcraft. Now, I want you to stay with me. Don't jump ship on me. So why would Paul, when he's listing the works of the flesh, use a word like witchcraft? Why would he do that? To depict the works of the flesh. That's a good question. So let me share why he, why he does that. When the church, when the church was being established in the first century, the Roman Empire, it was ruled, the Roman Empire was ruled by, by paganism. I mean, paganism is dark. It's dark, it's demonic, it's a religion made by man, and it's a sick religion, it's a dark religion, it's bad. And in it, the characteristic in all of that witchcraft and pagan religion was drugs. It was running rampant in there. So heathen worshipers, when they would come to these temples or to these places for worship, they would come to these places to find help. They would have, they would have ailments and things that they needed help with, okay? Physical stuff, mental stuff, emotional stuff, spiritual stuff. They would come. And instead of getting what they really needed, these pagan priests would take drugs and mix it with wine and stir it in these cups, and they call them cocktails. And they would give it to the worshipers to drink. So all of a sudden, you have this pain or this wound or this hurt, and you take this cocktail, and you drink it, and then you go back to worshiping. And all of a sudden, what happens? It goes away, and they go home. And all of a sudden, the drug or the alcohol wears off, and they have to come back to the temple the next week and the priest would do it again. He would take the drug, he would take the alcohol, and he'd mix it up, and he'd give it to him as a cocktail. And this happened over and over and over and over and over and over again. Now, I wanna stop here for a second. I am not talking about drugs given to you by doctors who love Jesus and fear God. They're God, godly doctors, they're godly men, and they're giving you medication and, and pills that you absolutely need. I am not talking about that kind of medication whatsoever, but I am talking about what I call uh, basically casual drugs or drugs that we take to, to uh, kind of soften and smooth and cover over pain. Okay, these drugs right here, what they do is they find, they find sympathy. It's kind of like what I would call a coping drug. Okay, in our country, we got people that they, they are in, their, their anxiety is through the roof, their depression is through the roof, they are hopeless, they, they don't know how to handle life, they're stressed out, they don't know what to do, and there's a lot of junk out there that you can take. Now, some of it is to get you on right track and get you over the hump, but it's not for you to take for the rest of your cotton-picking life. You don't need to continue to consume stuff like that. These people were going to the right place to get the right help for the needs in their life, but they were not getting met by the healer. They were only getting help. Listen to me. Jesus said, I'll take your pain. I'll take those scars. I'll take that junk, and I'll heal you, and you'll never have to ever, ever, ever have to deal with it again. So how does this apply to me today? The flesh is, if the flesh is not confronted and forced to look squarely at itself, it will have to acknowledge the real problem. If the flesh 
has to acknowledge the real problem, all right, look squarely in the eye at it. Rather than look at it face-to-face or squarely, it tries to run, it tries to hide, it tries to sleep, it tries to consume, it tries to stay busy. That's what it does. In other words, the flesh would rather learn how to cope than to be crucified and change. We have a lot of people today that are taking drugs and alcohol, not because they need them necessarily, but to cope with stuff. And that is not of God. That is not of God. God says, if you'll bring that scar to me, that hurt to me, we got a lot of people that are trying to cure the smoke, but they don't identify the flame. Can I say that to you? There's a lot of hurt, man. There's a lot of hurt in this world, a lot of pain in this world. But if we don't look at it square to square, we don't look at it face to face, we might chase smoke instead of deal with the flame. You deal with the flame, smoke go away. If you and I, as a church, if we look like the world all the time, where's the difference? We are the salt and light of the world. We are a city set on a hill. We are supposed to be different. We're we're joint heirs with Christ from a whole different group. And we're supposed to live and operate and function in a way that the world doesn't do. But the world throws stuff at you to cope with stuff. And Jesus says, hey, I'm not throwing help. I'm throwing the healer. My name is Jesus, and I can heal that. Quit playing this rodeo and get off that wheel, man, because you're buying into the world system looking for something that only Jesus could give you. Now, again, I'm just saying there's a big difference between medication that you need for hearts and drugs and and blood pressures and stuff like that, I'm saying coping drugs. And the coping drugs in this country are running rapid. Have you ever stopped to say, Father, what do you say about this? I'm bringing this to you. What is it about me that needs to be healed by you so that I will not be dependent upon this drug anymore? Listen, if not, they're going to continue to make a cocktail, serve it to you. When it wears off, you're going to come back. And then you're going to serve it. You're going to come back. You're going to serve it. You're going to come back. If Jesus heals this area of your life, that smoke goes away and never comes back. Never comes back. You got to go to the root of the problem, not the issue. We're supposed to be the vine that produces fruit, right? Good fruit. We're supposed to be a tree that grows and produces good fruit. You don't have a leaf problem. You have a root problem. If your roots are tapped to the source, and that's Jesus and the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, then from that source, you'll produce fruit. But you can't produce fruit if you're tapped to the wrong source. That's all he's saying. So Jesus, in chapter 15 of John, he says, abide in me or rest in me. There's a lot of people today that need to rest and abide in Jesus. Take your pain, take your hurt, take your scars, take your wounds to the one that can heal you. Quit numbing them, quit making them go away, deal with it, deal with the problem. Don't try to chase smoke, chase the flame. If you will do that, in Jesus' name, he will heal you. He will make you well. He will make you well. My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. I will not trust in anything else. 
but only lean on Jesus' name. On the rock, on the solid rock I stand. On the solid rock I stand. All other sand is sinking sand. What is my hope built on? There is a world out there that is hopeless. They don't know where to turn. And they need to see in the church the fruit of the Spirit. Don't chase your pain like the world chases its pain. You let Jesus, the healer, deal with your pain and your scars and your wounds and your sicknesses, and he'll take care of you, all right? I'm gonna ask you to stand, church. If you're on the worship team, I'm gonna invite you to come on out. You're on a ministry team, you're welcome to come as well. I know this is heavy. Pastors today, they just skip over this stuff. They just get to the good stuff, the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to me. I'm a sorry, sorry pastor if I'm asking you to add some good stuff to a recipe that's already jacked up and bad. Dump the bowl out. Cut that stuff out of your life and put the good stuff in your life. All right? Jesus is the best thing. Tap into him Stay connected to him, rest in him, abide in him. And if you've got wounds and scars and hurts and pains, don't run to the world, run to Jesus. Run to the healer, run to the one that can make it whole again, right? Make it whole again. Let me pray over you. Father, we love you. God, you're good. You're just a good God. And God, I pray today, that as we talk about hard stuff, hard stuff, works of the flesh, where where the enemy's kicking us, God, that we hear your love. We don't hear condemnation, we hear love. God, we don't hear judgment, we hear love. Because God, you love us. You wanna produce in us good, good fruit. And God, I pray that we run to the right source to get that done. God, may we not run the church to the world. May we run to Jesus. God, we love you. In this time, God, may your Holy Spirit speak. Wherever you spoke, God, may we say yes to it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to come this morning, the altar's open. These will pray for you if you need to. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the church at Bushland. We exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope you will stay connected by following the ministry on Facebook and Instagram by using The Church at Bushland and on Twitter by using at TCA Bushland.